The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Hey, good morning, everybody, and thanks for joining us this morning at this hour. A sponsor apartment is a unit owned by the original owner or corporation responsible for turning a building from a rental into a co-op. Many rental apartment buildings in New York City were converted to co-ops in the 1980s. At the time of conversion, existing tenants had the option to purchase their unit or continue renting. What are the pros and cons of these units? We will discuss that this morning with the panel. Also at this hour, many of us have ingrained in our minds that becoming a true adult can only be achieved when you actually own your home and that renting should just be a temporary thing as you're starting out in life, a brief detour on the way to home ownership. We will debate that today. Also, the topic, uh, the panelists here, rather, for Hot Topics, I would like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. I am Vince Rocco, and this is Good Morning New York Real Estate each week. We bring you all the news that is relevant to your real estate success, regardless regardless of the part of the process you belong to. You can always email me here at the show or at vrocco at halstead.com. The retail decline besetting brick-and-mortar stores across the USA has spread to Manhattan's hotspot Soho, which was once a retail steamroller with plush boutiques battling premium retailers for scarce Storefronts. However, the reality of 2017 is that storefront availability has mushroomed to 23.1% in the second quarter, <coughs> quarter, up from a distant 47 at the end of 2011. Also, a ground floor retail prices are down to $478 per square foot from $541 in 2015. Online shopping is literally sweeping traditional retailers off their feet within the last eight months overseeing the closure of 5,442 stores in the U.S., a 165% increase over the corresponding period in 2016. Apart from Soho, Madison Avenue, as well as Fifth Avenue, has suffered the brunt of the slump. Soho still is an attractive location for local and foreign residential investors because of being a widely popular tourist destination and still draws media technology and advertising companies looking to woo millennials with a postmodern office setting. You know, it's interesting. I've complained about, we've all talked about the uh, problem with retail or the closure of lots of retail in this town through the years that we're doing this show. I was up in Westchester for the most of the long weekend, and as we're driving around some familiar towns with my family, I'm looking at all these shuttered storefronts, whether they were restaurants and pharmacies or whatever, and I asked my sister at one point, she said, yeah, you know, they just kind of went out of business, and the rents here are escalating just like here in new york and that's the result so it's kind of sad to think and i was explaining i said listen you know what we believe is the problem is all this online shopping and this online fever and this online mania no one goes into a store anymore i mean it started with the pharmacies you know the mom and pops and other the large cbs's but i'm saying you know even in those cases they're very um 
they, they seem slower than they used to be because you can get all that stuff online. So what's really going to happen in this town with regard to that? And I think that uh, we also have to think about whether some of these stores, type of stores, don't come back. I mean, maybe there isn't, uh, for example, a bookstore uh, anymore. You know, there may not be that bookstore. There may always be restaurants because people physically want to go out and eat. But there may be certain types of stores that well, just... Restaurants you know, are suffering, though. I mean, they're coming and going more so than they ever did before. They are, but I do think there's certain things... Even, in the, not to segue this too much into brokers, but even brokers on some level, I think, will always maintain a presence. I think there's certain, there's certain things that you that people need to touch and feel and eat, but I do think the Amazon effect is real, and I think online shopping will obliterate certain sectors. And it's uh, only getting bigger. I mean, Amazon now buying Whole Foods, and so you can just imagine ordering Whole Foods. The good news there is uh, apparently the prices have come down almost 40%, which is a, which is a good thing, but... How long, how long are those stores going to be open? I mean, you know, it's going to take years before everything closes down. But I got to tell you something; it's really getting kind of scary. Online shopping is a wonderful thing, and I and I take advantage of it just like everybody else does. However, you know, the traditional store front should not go away. Yeah, but it might. I mean, it might. It might. I mean, look, certain storefronts will still be there. I, I was home this weekend in Massapequa Park, where I grew up, and I was I was also shocked. I couldn't believe how many stores have just disappeared. And there's some signs up, and it's these are neighborhoods, and these are little townships that were bustling with people and activity. And, and it's it's uh, look, it's a little scary, but I think there's always transitions. Well, there's transitions, and let's wait and see where it all goes. And I, you know, the other thing too is you know, it will it will survive. The shopping will survive, obviously. But what does it do to the look and feel and the landscape of what? you know, these blocks or these avenues or these stores used to look like. You know, now all of a sudden they're all closed down. What happens? I think something else will take its place. That always happens. We're in transition now, and some of these places aren't looking that great with all these shuttered stores and signs. But I do think that there'll be some other type of store or something that will take its place. That is needed. That you don't, you can't buy online. You have to walk in and, and see. I, I really believe that. And look, if the prices have to come down in order to attract that new kind of Store, then that'll happen. You know, I think the economics will sort of take care of itself. Uh, all right, we're going to take a break now. We will come right back after these messages. You are listening to Good Morning New York it's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees.
Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back, and we're here with Noah Kaplan from Nest Seekers International, Peru Brombat from Compass, Phil Horrigan from LeaseBreak.com, and Matthew Cohen from CORE. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. So let's Hello. Sorry. <laughs> Good morning. Better late than never. It, it, it is right after Labor Day after all. <laughs> yes, this is very true. Anyway, moving on. Central Park Tower's $4 billion offering plan, the loftiest in New York City history, includes 20 condominiums that Extel Development is pricing at a whopping $60 million or more. But if history is anything to go by, Extel may be living in a fantasy world. One that can turn into a nightmare if the luxury market doesn't perk up. Extel declined to comment on its sales strategy or pricing at the condo tower, which also features one unit price at $95 million and three gargantuan apartments that don't yet have sticker prices but are likely to ask in the seven figures. Well, okay, so first question I have to all of you out there, who are the buyers for these apartments? Wait, seven or eight figures? Seven. Seven, seven figures. Seven, seven figures. Okay. Um, well, obviously, it would just have to be the top, top echelon to a great degree of, of the who's who lists in the world. I mean, we're looking at billionaires. Um, and recently, actually, I saw this article on in Forbes about you know, who's going to be the first trillionaire. But, I mean, we're talking the, yeah. you know, the top level people. And, by the way, the conversation was, you know, n- none of the big hitters in our time are still going to probably hit a trillion. And they were talking about chain blocks. Uh, or blockchain. Um, blockchain. Yes, but, but so anyway, so it was a, it was the conversation was pointing to trillionaires, but the point is is that it really does sort of speak to the highest caliber buyer, and really I I don't know about what you guys think, but I mean how many of those are there that also who also want to live in that building in Manhattan, etc. So it'll be an interesting. It'll be an interesting project, to say the least. And I just think with the way the, the markets and the prices have been fluctuating and the Uber, as we've been speaking about for many years, the Uber-priced apartments you know, have really kind of stagnated. I can't imagine anybody spending $60 million or more or $95 million. I mean, that, that the $100 million, the $80 million penthouse phenomenon sort of went away a while ago. And, I mean, all I can say is let's see. I mean, Extel is a great company. They certainly have put out lots of product in the past at very high prices. Let's see what this particular building is. I have my reservations. Okay, it's, it's really risky for them. I think they're going to really struggle. I mean, if there's a, the, the buyer's pool, the buyer's pool for, um, for that type of apartment is very small. Yeah. So if there's only, let's just as an example, only 10 of them and you know three of them are not sure, 
your market's down 30%, you know? And I think that's the thing is the pool is so small and there's little problems that affects it dramatically. You, you would think that there's at least some more um, understanding um, of the hold times and they've thought about that and, and, and planned a marketing strategy that really is targeting the target audience that they're going after. The president of your company and a very dear friend of ours here at the show, Leonard Seinberg, says timing is real estate's best friend and worst enemy. I mean, he's been quoted saying that many times. So that basically is all about timing of the market, good, bad, or indifferent. I mean, you can buy something, feel really good about it. Six months later, a year later, all of a sudden, things change. And now you say, oops, did I overprice? Did I overpay? Or could I have gotten more in other cases? So it really depends. I'm, 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 I'm disappointed in Excel. Um, I sound like a school teacher. I, I just think that it's a very exciting time that we're coming into being the fall season. It's a hot, you know, real estate market in the history of New York. So, so why do we have to release these gargantuan prices when, if anything, I think the world is showing us that the, you know, the billionaires and the trillionaires and very wealthy people around the world, um, you know, myself who have worked with extremely wealthy people and celebrities, they, they all have a tendency to not spend as much as you would think here and they get something even in the 10 million range which is still a lot of money in my opinion um at, at a project like 443 greenwich which is obviously very popular with all of them and you don't see those prices there because they want to have multiple homes they don't want to have some outrageous home in new york i mean no hating on tom brady and giselle who bought that i think 65 65 million yeah yeah, I mean, you know, everyone's different, but I think that the tendency is to go with multi-homes and having different homes all over the world. So I, I don't really know what Excel is thinking, to be honest. I mean, I'm selling a development on the east side, as everybody knows. I've been mentioning it uh, several times. But, you know, it's interesting. I have one apartment that's $4.5 million, and most people who are looking at that unit, it's a second home or it's a third home in some cases. And I've had somebody coming over from Hong Kong for a second or third showing this week. It will be a third home. So, you know, $4.5 million, it's a lot of money for an apartment, a lot of money for anything. But it's at least, you know, doable when, you know, comparing it to $65 million or $80 million or $100 million. I mean, people who buy those homes, I mean, they, they just, I mean, it's endless. How, how in general, though, would you say the new development marketing arena is today? I mean, as we've come through 20, uh, 2017, things have changed, I think, for the better. Things have gotten much busier around the, the, the industry. But what do you think about new development right now in this current market? I think we spoke about this a few months ago and, and, and almost a year ago. And I remember Pearl and I hitting on the topic of we were very impressed by a lot of new developments out there and how they were using Facebook and Instagram and, and utilizing every outlet they could I've actually seen as a client of that. Maybe that's the summer hitting us, and maybe that was because, yeah. The summer season. However, what I was going to say is I think that, you know, we'll probably have a better indication of what the fall will look like in new development, probably by the end of September. But the summer's been a, a bit of a lull and a little bit slower in some ways, and then also kind of, but there were serious buyers out and getting deals done. So it's kind of been a mixed bag. So it's a tough sort of market to come out of to predict. Well, to give also, I think for the audience, it's really important to that um, things like million dollar listing, for example, they might be very outrageous, but actually with regards to Noah's here, um, who works for Ryan on the show and, and Pearl's at Compass and I'm at Core, 
no no offense to Phil because um, you're not included in this one, but the <laughs> no, but the the marketing that our companies do, you know, Ryan's team does very interesting marketing for the new developments, and I think that as outrageous as they are, I give him so much credit for thinking outside the box. I think that Compass does a great job as well. Parole was on an amazing project downtown that another firm took over, but I I, I actually think that Compass's marketing was much more out there. Um, and Core's also done some, you know, weird marketing that really has worked. So, so I think that you know these companies just need to think more outside the box and continue to be creative. About my team, which which is something that I'm pretty confident and proud about, is that we have our own design firm. We have our own design. Like we have uh, we have a, uh, a design team. We have a social media team, and uh, and we're revamping our our team social media as we speak. Um, with a millennial guy who's, you know, like just, you know, he's just in his twenties. Um, and he's the perfect guy for it. And we're trying all these new things out. We, in fact, the other day, I'm going to plug one of my teammates, Bianca D'Alessio, um, had like did an Instagram story for like all of her buildings, her father's, um, this awesome developer and she, they have a lot of buildings. Um, and she started doing this Instagram story and the whole, it was like a, it was like a new riot with the whole team. Everyone was super excited about it. And I think it generated a lot of, um, you know, it, it generated a lot of uh, commotion on on our Instagram page. So anyway, and on, let, yeah. let, let me ask you a question because you mentioned you sure. know you have a new designer, a millennial aged designer. So obviously, the marketing and the and the and the promo stuff is going to be geared towards the millennial mindset. But are these people, and we've chatted about this many times on the show, are these people actually the ones out there buying, or are they just looking at Instagram and saying, "Wow, this is wonderful." If I can afford to, at some point, I'd like to buy X or Y. So I can totally give you like straight up anecdotal information that one of my colleagues um, was on, who's on the team, um, put a, actually was on Ryan's, Ryan put a post up on Instagram the other day. This is like a week or two ago. And then he, he saw that there was a buyer that commented on his Instagram feed on one of his stories. And so he like replied one of the buyers, my colleague did. And now... My colleague is now taking out that buyer specifically to go look at yeah places between four and eight million dollars yeah yeah and I here's mean, the you're going like, to have those examples have for sure report. absolutely and that's that's you know a needle in the haystack obviously and it's not common to get a buyer or a seller from social media but well publicity well, well, but like, it is it is no no it's rare I'm saying right. but you know all publicity is good we always say and the more you can get the better because the more it's out there you never know what talk will do and. Um, you know, I think a constant conversation in New York about both new development and real estate is its collaboration with the art world. And, you know, we've, there have been a lot of conversations throughout the last 10 years alone with, you know, mixing art and new construction. And, um, I'll, I'll never forget when Ryan did his whole campaign for hundred Avenue a, which is in the East yeah. village. And yeah, he yeah. really, you know, was a little provocative and made it very artsy, but well, that's that what that to be genius based on the location of right, the but, land. But given the, I mean, given the location though, the East Village is very, you know, creative and in that scene. So you you obviously market for what the neighborhood tells you to. Yeah. One last Absolutely. thing I can say about that. Whenever I'm, so I've had several developer conversations recently. Um, I'm I'm on this uh, 20 unit building, 293 Hawthorne in Prospect Leverett's Gardens, and I can tell you unequivocally, developers are very interested in real estate agents' social media presence. Like it's it's a yes, big deal are. for them, especially as marketing starts, the marketing landscape starts to change, right? We're less brick and mortar now, we're a lot more online. 
or you know the top top firms, Corcoran, Douglas Elliman, they don't have um, a lot of them are not interested as much at, um, as far as having retail locations on the ground because a lot of people find listings over the internet. Yeah, that's a very interesting point because even at my company, Halstead, you know, we have been always known to be retail. In fact, all of our offices until a few years back when the east side office came off the ground, as I say, and went up into, uh, uh, you know, uh, several high floors uh, on Park Avenue. And now the thinking is, you know, as each of the leases and the remaining stores become due, they're no longer necessarily interested in retail. And I believe it's for the same purpose. You don't have to walk past a storefront and see beautiful pictures and floor plans to say, oh, that's a real estate office. Oh, look at that listing. That looks beautiful. Oh, look at the price. Everybody with their smart devices, everybody with their laptops are cruising online, whether it's social media or network, uh, um, real estate firms' websites, but they're finding, they're seeking out and they're finding everything they need to know. I've said from the very beginning, because I agree with Matt, what Matt said, you know, it, it's sort of like, you know, a needle in a haystack, one in a million sometimes. But when I first started using social media for, for uh, my real estate business, based on Ryan's success or based on Frederick's success, you know, the, the, the stars of Million Dollar Listing, you know, you get a little interest here, you get a little interest there. I can say years later, a couple of years later, where I've really heavily gotten involved in it, I do get people interested, calling, inquiring. I did get a buyer this year. I did get a seller this year. So, you know, look, is it going to happen every time you post something? No. It is the new norm. It is the new standard. And I think those who don't really follow through with it, like everybody else, they, you know, you're going to be behind the eight ball. And to Noah's point, um, you know, I think real estate is definitely, I don't, I don't ever like using the term dying breed. I don't think it is a dying breed, but I think that the it's last 10 years, it is. And the last 10 years has really shown that. And, um, you know, I've spoken to someone like Nikki Field about this, who, you know, is not to, don't come over saying this, but of the older generation of brokers, but she also really modernizes it because when she took over to, you know, two twelve fifth, they really took a more modern approach to beautifying the process of real estate. Because, I see it on social media all the time. Yeah, because I mean, if you if you look at most real estate, you know, offices these days or projects these days, I think it's less about which this might be a good or bad thing, but I think it's taking away a little bit of the real estate side and just making it something that's more beautiful yeah. that everyone can relate to. One thing I wanted to add is the thing with social media, and I am not that good at this and I could be a lot better, is you have to be consistent with it. Because Very if, if you were to just put one tweet up or you know, if Ryan would just post one Facebook post once every shuffle. few months, it literally, you almost, you're almost better off not doing it. I mean, it's either you're going to commit to it or you're not going to do it. You know, and people are going to say, oh, you're overdoing, oh, all I see is, you know, Vince's this or that. But you know what? Listen, you don't want to look at it. Don't look at it. But there are people out there who catch it for the first time, people out there who actually follow. You know, they use the word following somebody for a reason. People look at this stuff. And when the opportunity arises to jump in, oh, I'm going to check out what Vince has going on. I'm going to check out what Noah has going on because they are consistent with what they put out there and it makes sense. One last thing I want to say on that is that it bleeds out into the press. Um, so one of my one of my friend and 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 that's a good thing, um, especially for real estate. So one of my friends, Chris Kahn, um, who's at the Corcoran Group. Yep, I, my my last company. Um, he is prolific on Instagram. He has an eye Fantastic. for art. He's got Fantastic. you know he's had, he has a place out in Sag Harbor. He doesn't do uh, real estate out in Sag Harbor. He does it in the city. He's a power broker in the city. 
um, but his his posts are always uh, you know intriguing to people, and he's made it to the I think he made it to the New York Post recently. They had a whole write up on him. He he certainly did, and it was a great write up. And he is genius. Even when he snaps his breakfast plate, it's like I'm <laughs> interested in seeing what he has to say. Exactly, because he always ties it to something. Whether he's traveling abroad, whether it's in Sag Harbor, whether it's here in New York City in a in a, in a penthouse apartment, whatever it is. There's a correlation, and it's really kind of genius. It really is. And he has gotten clients from that. That's the bottom oh, line. Oh, 100%. And, t- and to your point, you he's consistent. Because yeah. his well, breakfast posts are always at Bergamot in Chelsea. And they make <laughs> And he's hungry. always in Zag Harbor, like consistent, you know? And it bothers me that he doesn't take me. I know. <laughs> All right, moving on. Only three blocks long, Central Park South is lined on one side with busy buildings where people live in apartments that are mostly pricey and often glamorous. Squirrels and statues reside on the other side along the trees of Central Park. People ask me all the time, what is the allure of Central Park South? Why do you want to live there? I don't know. Honestly, like, honestly, <laughs> I've never understood this well, myself. I understand. I, no, seriously, like, I, I love Central Park West. I, I grew up walking up and down, just admiring it. And um, I love Fifth Avenue. It's also beautiful. Um, but just this past weekend, I got, uh, this doesn't sound so bougie, but I got tea with a few of my friends at the Plaza. It's something we do sometimes. And um, I don't get the allure. I, I think that, you know, it's filled with tourists, especially if you're on the east, you know, the east side of it. Um, and it, it's just busy. There's I always you feel like whenever. So, but you have to admit, like whenever you walk on Central Park South, all I smell is horse crap. Well, that's well, like, that's, just, well, that's, that's <laughs> all I know. I was going to say horse manure. Oh, my that, gosh. That, we, that, we have officially become jaded New Yorkers. This is, this is my only concern or problem. It gets very mm. touristy. Yeah. But that's like my only concern because no, but, you're overwhelmed by that. And I often think because in nice weather, I do like to open my windows. And if there's a breezy day. Is that breezing right into your apartment? I don't know. Look, I think, I believe it is the closest point where you are by Central Park or have Central Park views right on the park, um, yet you are as cl- it's about in the middle of Manhattan as you can possibly be. The second is, it is usually pied-a-terres. Um, the people by on Central Park South or 57th Street um, tend to be people who are either foreign purchasers or second home buyers or, you know, because there, you need a certain amount of discretionary income generally to be even be interested in these. I think the genesis of that location was proximity to park and also the rest of Manhattan, um, coupled with the fact that when people aren't from New York City, they don't want to live in West Village because that's what we as New Yorkers want. We want the quieter haven. When somebody is visiting here, living part-time here, they want to be in the thick of things. And that really was and used to be sort of a place, especially when Time Warner Building was going up all of that time. Um, there were so many new things happening, and yet it was close to Upper East Side as well as it was close to downtown. So really, it makes a lot of logical sense why that area kind of started getting built out and to be marketed to this specific market segment. Yeah. One thing I will say, it seems like the perfect parking, well, that Central Park South is the perfect parking space for, let's say, Cadillac SUVs, you know, trucking and celebrities, tar- trucking and millionaires. Oh, it looks and like Celebrity Haven over there. There it is. All those SUVs. Exactly. And so it's no man's land for New Yorkers, but for people from out of town who, you know, just want to make sure they have the right accommodation. I saw Steve Nash there as I was walking down yes. like a, you know, a few months ago. So it's the type of thing where if you're not a New Yorker, it's like a, you know, it's a dial up. You just dial it, dial it up. You're going to be right on Central Park South and you're in between, you know, uh, Columbus Circle and the Plaza Hotel. And again, it's all these things are not really New York, New Yorker destinations. But, you know, if you're from out of town, um, 
it's fine for you. It's something to say. We've got to leave it there. We are live from Blast Off Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York. We'll be right back after these messages. Don't go away. where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back with Noah Kaplan from the Sirhan team at Nessikers International, Peru Brombat from Compass, Phil Horrigan, LeaseBreak.com, and Matthew Cohen from CORE. All right, listen, Matthew Cohen actually inspired me to research this story this week. We are talking about sponsor units, and congratulations to Matt, because he just bought his first apartment downtown in New York City, and it was a sponsor unit. So, see, millennials can do well in this town and can buy their own apartments. Such an amazing picture you shot there as well. I know, on (laughs) social media, right? Social media. It wasn't even a professional photo. (laughs) Listen, if you do it right, it doesn't matter. Classic filter apply. Let's talk about a sponsor unit. What is it? So, a sponsor apartment is a unit owned by the original owner of a corporation responsible for turning a building from a rental into a co-op. Many rental apartment buildings in New York City were converted uh, to co-ops in the 1980s, but there were some that were not done, so there's always room to do it later on down the road. Uh, At the time of conversion, existing tenants or renters had the option to purchase their unit or continuing to stay in the unit as a renter. Since then, all those dwellers have moved on. Their apartments have often been listed on the market by buildings' original sponsors who still own the apartments. So, for example, if you have a co-op building of 100 apartments, 25 of them still remain rental because they only sold 75 when they converted from rental to co-op. Those 25 units are still owned by the same sponsor. And as people move out of those over the years, the sponsor then has the right to sell them as brand new co-ops, but differently than if you bought a regular co-op. So one of the first things I wanted to ask is, 
what are the advantages of buying a sponsor apartment? Why choose a sponsor apartment over just a traditional co-op? Um, Very I, important topic. It's 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 funny that I wound up buying a sponsor apartment because I always tell people that I think it's one of the biggest topics in the business or in the real estate world that has pros and cons. Like there are pros and cons, so it doesn't have more of one or the other. Um, you know, I always say like if someone is going to have any difficulty passing a board, a sponsor unit's very advantageous to them because you have no board approval. Um, you know, for someone like me, I just made my sound myself sound bad, but I, you know, I'm very financially um, okay. And, and I'm, I'm a very nice person and, and I'm not crazy. So I would pass a board, but the problem is I am, I am very young. We were all um, debating that, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I, I am may, a, may be able to pass a board. Maybe. I'm, oh, I'm no. a very young guy. So, you know, boards sometimes judge that. And, um, you know, even on the mortgage side, it's hard to get a mortgage when you're very young. So I always thought it was a better option for me, for example. Um, but then on the con side, I mean, you know, you do pay extra transfer taxes. Mm-hmm. So you're paying extra money up front that is just cash that's just not like when you buy a con- uh, a brand new condo development you're paying the sponsor the sponsor side or the developer side of the transfer taxes correct exactly and then the last thing i always say is you know the renovation so a lot of sponsor units are renovated but that could be a pro or con you really need to know either your stuff or know who the sponsor is because you know renovations can be very misleading um, they might look pretty but they might not actually work well so i you know all of us know from looking at them every day, looking at apartments every day, what good finishes look like, what good quality looks like. So I knew right away. Um, but sometimes, you know, people buy sponsor units that are renovated and they look pretty and then they move in and they wind up changing a lot of the finishes because they were not built well. So well, that's just be one careful. Of the, that's one of the things I wanted to ask because everybody asks me, well, so when I buy a sponsor, when I buy a sponsor unit, is it automatically going to be renovated? And my answer is no. Sometimes sponsors will renovate, sometimes they will not. And if they don't, sometimes the price is a little lower. And of course, if they renovate, it's a little higher. But to Matt's point, you know, I've run around this town for years saying sponsor renovation. What is a sponsor renovation? It's really very basic. Okay, it's not high end, it's not super luxury, you know, typically white cabinetry, but not very expensive. All very nice and all very appealing. Minimum required to get the job done. It's all brand new, but it's not. Exactly. I mean, but I it, made that point. Like, there are some sponsors that do do an outstanding job that have outstanding reputations, absolutely. but there are a lot of them that do the minimal amount of work because their job is just the profit, just the bottom line. They sell that apartment and, well, they're not quite out of there because they do have a relationship with the building, but on some level, they're looking at the, the bottom line. What are, what are some of the other disadvantages of buying a sponsor unit? I mean, Matt mentioned one, when you buy a sponsor unit, you're paying the transfer taxes on behalf of the sponsor because it's the first time trade. You're coming in as a as a new purchaser, so, sort of like a um, a condo. Then you you have to pick up the cost of that. But what are some of the other disadvantages of once it's said and done, you moved in, you're living in the building. What may be some of the other disadvantages? I would just say uh, not just once you move in, but so one of the things I usually tell my buyers is that a sponsor unit is usually a little more expensive. So because of that premium, because you're not a you're not having to get board approval, you will be expected to pay a little bit of a premium. However and this is the negative side of that too, not, not only paying a premium, but also now you own an apartment in a co-op and now when you sell it, you have to get board approval. So you don't still get that same premium. It's not like in a condo, you buy a condo, a condo generally is more expensive than a co-op and then you could 
of course, sell that condo at a higher price as well. With a cult, with a sponsor unit, that's not always the case. You're buying at a premium, but then you don't get that same advantage when you uh, sell it. Well, that that that's the thing. You know, you buy it easier than having to buy in a co-op because you don't have to do a board package. You don't have to go through uh, buyer scrutiny, as I say. You know, uh, I use the term undressing financially, whatever. But once you close, you're now a, a resident in a co-op. You are now a co-op shareholder. So now you have to continue to abide by all of the co-op rules. And when you sell or lease, if you can, you've got to go through board approval. So, And then some people just don't want to live with the restrictions of uh, a co-op under any circumstances, whether you buy directly from a co-op or you buy you know, from a, a, a seller. I'm, I'm looking at parole during this one because there's also an, a spiritual side to this as well. Um, parole and I are, a sponsor unit? Yeah, I'm going to go there. Um, parole, <laughs> parole and I are both very into energy. And, um, you know, a lot of people have weird things about sponsor units because, you know, a lot of times in order for a sponsor to be able to get a hold of a unit after, you know, and renovated or not renovated, the stabilized tenant that was there or rent control tenant that was there has to actually pass away. Um, or or they could just move somewhere else. But they have to give up the apartment a or lot of times. They get bought out. They get bought out. Right. Let them get but bought out, yeah. It, uh, the times that someone dies in the apartment, <laughs> not, not to yeah. use, you know, lack of better terms. <laughs> he said he was so going there. He's going there. Yeah, a lot of really people is. have weird, um, you know, agita about <laughs> buying an apartment where someone has passed in. Well, so listen, I, I believe the energy could be a thing if too. You, just if trying you, to think creatively. I, I, <laughs> I, I hear you on the sponsor sales side, but also if you know anybody I, I, familiar I think, with... I think Matt's gotten a taste of buying sponsor units is trying to keep other buyers away. <laughs> well, there you go. But, <laughs> buy my but anytime you buy a, a pre-war apartment, you, you have that because these buildings are built in the early, well, turn of the century in some cases, my building 1927. So somebody died somewhere in the building or yeah, and in, you know in, what anybody who just, has anybody who has that issue in new york city which by the way i right, think i can't. was I, I think i was one of those people before mm. i moved to new york so my parents built their house like good energy getting the good energy but getting something new and um when i first moved to new york i was kind of like wow i wonder who lived here like those thoughts totally. crossed my mind until you realize that most of the parks in this town are called were known as potter's fields quote-unquote AKA they were cemeteries. So um, Washington Square Park, Madison Square Park, specifically both of them, literally when you're having your picnic, you're kind of having it right above where other people were buried at some point. And, and and another negative about sponsor units that I learned very quickly when I bought mine is that there's a lot of competition. Like anyone who's looking out for a sponsor unit, get ready for there to be a lot of competition. There were, um, when I originally made an offer on mine, there were over... There was a bidding war of over twenty people. So yeah, well, they're they're a lot less expensive than a condo where you have the, the freedom of you know doing lots of other things too. So there are the advantages. All right, moving on. Uh, we just bought and now feel comfortable in a sponsor unit. But here's here's something else. Many of us have it ingrained in our minds that becoming a true adult can only be achieved when you actually own your home, and that renting should be a temporary thing, a brief detour on your way to home ownership. And it you know it runs the 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 age range. It doesn't matter how old you are. But considering that nearly two-thirds of New York City residents are renters, the American dream's trajectory just doesn't work the same way here as it does elsewhere in the country. So question is, why not just rent? Why do you need, in, in the metropolitan New York City, uber-expensive area, why is it so important to own versus rent? Um, I think one of the reasons why 
two-thirds of the people here are renters is because it's a very transient city. So, you know, generally brokers will tell people, I know I'll tell my clients, you really shouldn't buy unless you think you'll be there five to seven years. I mean, just to make sure that you're going to get a return on your investment. So most people cannot make that kind of commitment to be here five to seven years. Um, But why buy? I think the main reason is because people want to own something. They want to be able to do whatever they want to the apartment. They want to decorate it the way they want. And also they want to have equity in something. It is an investment. It is a way to not, quote unquote, throw your money away at rent. You know, so you're actually putting your money toward an investment. And most New Yorkers who have bought have done very, very well. People that bought in the financial crisis have done well. I always tell this to my buyers. I say, well, what if things aren't going to go well? I go, listen, people bought at the very worst possible time you could buy, right before the financial crisis. And even those people are now above water. So that's usually a pretty good sign of that it's a good and investment. And most of those buyers were above water, water by 2011. So, I mean, really, the, the, the turnaround was quite fast. Amazing. Yeah. It, w- it oh. was very fast. But, you know, again, I want to just underscore the point that most New York purchasing for most New Yorkers is completely out of reach, you know, on any price level, 500000 600000 certainly in the million-dollar range. So for most people who reside in New York City, that's all boroughs, Purchasing is really completely out of reach. So, you know, the American dream in the suburbs, I mean, I was out looking at houses with my sister over the weekend, and, you know, you're looking at big, beautiful homes for five and $600,000. I mean, there's a whole lifestyle difference. But if you really want to achieve that American dream, it's achievable more so, I believe, in the suburbs. And with that, of course, comes sacrifice because now you're commuting into the metro- metropolis if you're working in the city. Also, not to gen- oh, sorry. No, I was just to say, I personally love living with four roommates. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just, I mean, I really enjoy it. On the way to the American dream. There you right? go. That, that's yeah, what and, it's I'm, about. and I'm very happy about it. I was okay. going to say that. Also, not to generalize, I always have felt that New York City is the, is you know very different than the rest of the country because you have one of the biggest populations of people who are not just straight employees. So, you know, we always say the wealthier people are usually, you know, more of um, either work for themselves, have their own company, um, you know, or 1099 employees. They're, they're not going the straight route, I always say. Um, my dad always raised me in saying that you're not going to get rich on your job. Like, you're going to get rich doing something more, you know, more interesting. Um, so, in that case, also owning a home helps those kinds of people with doing their taxes, for example. You know, a, a lot of those people can write off their mortgages, whereas they can't really do it as much with rent. So there there are also tax benefits to owning. All right, we have to leave it there. We'll come back after this break. This is Good Morning uh, New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. 
It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Aliens with Gas, we are the extraterrestrial rock show airing every Saturday afternoon on the voiceamerica.com variety channel. <laughs> you know, I like to do a little searching and find some stuff online for music for the show. And I came across this. It's the solar system song, man. I am the earth. That's <laughs> the place where we all live. They don't talk about Pluto <gasps> and Nerubu. So I came up with my own Nerubu. Yeah, okay. Lay it on me. I am Nerubu. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, yeah, I screwed it up. Let's do it again. Here we go. I am Nerubu. <laughs> oh, you got to stop laughing. <laughs> oh, here we go. I am Nerubu. I've come to destroy your planet. I am big. I am Nerubu. That's every Saturday right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody. We are back with Noah Kaplan, Farul Brumbat, Phil Horrigan, and Matthew Cohen. So, you are about to move to New York City, one of the greatest cities in the world, where you will soon have said uh, you will soon have New York at your fingertips. Everything you'd want in terms of culture, dining, shopping, education, and several thousand dollar Hamilton tickets, for example, is right here, again, at your fingertips. Plus, you may never have to own a car again. So we've talked about this on the show before. So just to update everybody, I mean, and even when you start out with a new buyer who says, I want to buy an apartment, I want to rent an apartment, where do you start consumer? Where do you start apartment hunting? It's all about budget and lifestyle. True. So then how do you take the how do you start the process? So I have a certain budget, I have a certain lifestyle, whatever that is. How do you start the process? Well, okay, it depends if the person is a New Yorker or not. If they're from out of town, they have no idea what's going on here. They don't know what the neighborhoods are like. They don't they don't even know where to start. So that's where you sort of integrate them into the whole experience. If they are a New Yorker, they probably have a few neighborhoods already, you know, already thought of. I also like to make the process very light. <laughs> so the first thing I'll ever say to a new, you know, or first time buyer or a new client of mine, I'll say, what is your ideal? Like, if you could give me your ideal right now, what is that? And then, and then I will say, okay, wh- now what is the budget? And then I'll give them reality. And I think it's, it's a great mm-hmm. way to get started because it's both, you know, making it kind of fun and interesting for them, but it's also giving them a reality check. Yeah. And also as, as real estate brokers, you know, especially for younger brokers listening to this, you have to be very careful with this because, you know, even if you have the best of intentions and you end up saying something like, oh, yeah, you know, you really like, you, you know, you like this sort of clothing and this sort of food. So you'd probably love living here, here, here can get you into a lot of fair housing trouble. So the way I tend to handle that is I tell my buyers, like, look, if this is your lifestyle, just I can't answer this question for you. 
So ask your friends, ask people that, you you know, go walk around, you know, look at the neighborhoods, experience them a little bit, get a general feel, and then tell me, these are the ones I might be interested in. Tell you what, I will not only set up apartment appointments, but then we'll do what I call an app hop, which is we will go to a restaurant in, or two in each different neighborhood, like we'll walk around, we'll pop into different places, we'll have a little bite and maybe a drink. You know, and just like kind of like check out these neighborhoods, you know, speaking of keeping it light and fun, you know, there's so many heavy hitting things that um, that the buyer, especially a first time buyer, but any buyer is going to have to deal with that is stressful through this process that really connecting on those lighter aspects and making it as fun as possible, I really do think is part of our job. The other thing as a agent, um, when I'm taking out a renter or a buyer, as much as because I know the market, I may think that what they're saying is not realistic because I know the budget and I know they can't get that. I've learned the hard way that people have to see it. You have to take them out. They have to see stuff. They have to see for themselves. Mm -hmm. So, um, And this is for myself, too. I know if I just met somebody and they just said, oh, yeah, good luck with that, buddy. You can't get that for that amount of money. I would think... No, I, I, that's, maybe that's not true. You've got to show them stuff. Let them come to the conclusions, you know, and with have, your guidance, yeah. with your guidance. And I have to admit that, you know, maybe at times I may even come across as a bit of a Pollyanna um, because of this being my attitude, especially with other, you know, fellow brokers. A lot of times brokers use the words buyers or liars, buyers or liars, because I think that some brokers have gone through the frustration many a times of buyers say they want one thing, but then they land on something completely different. And sometimes, unfortunately, without the broker. What I have found early on in my career is to recognize that it's not that buyers are liars. It's as much as everyone has an idea of what it is that they think that they want. But when reality hits, like Matt said, um, you know, then they start kind of looking outside of that parameter. So if you as the broker aren't creative enough, and also handle the process enough to sort of say, hey, look, I know this is what you're looking for, but after I've seen you react to a few places, can we go out one time and look at certain things that are a little more peripheral, a little more maybe for you, just to make sure that we're not missing out on anything and and take them out on that extra turn. And yes, it's four more hours out of my life, uh, but at the same time, you're really taking care of the client. And to Pearl's point, um, you know, bringing up the younger first getting started brokers, I think it's really important that, um, you know, you really just take your time and are very patient because never, never underestimate a client. I always say, because, you know, whether they're spending $500,000 or they're spending $5 million, it's still a big deal for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I actually, you know, I might sound all intellectual and knowledgeable, but I will say I've never had a more a more of an understanding for this since I bought mm-hmm. myself because it really is a huge deal and you really need to take your time with every single detail and every single client because they're all different and they're all going to handle the emotions well, of it differently. And that's what I was trying to get at. At, at the end of the day, you know, all, to all of your point, you know, uh, everybody starts with a search, you know, every, whether you're new coming into the city or, or an old crusted, you know, New Yorker for years and decide to buy something, everybody starts with a search and everybody looks at the internet and everybody has all of these websites that they know where to go, rent or uh, sale. But it's not until you start working with a professional real estate agent and to Matt's point, you know, you've got to pay attention to every aspect of the deal, every little detail. You see it because you just bought it. I've saw it years ago when I was buying. End of the day, that's what 
for. That's why, you know, the consumers should engage with us because we are the ones who are going to take them through that process as easy as we possibly can. And not only that, but I, I always use the surgery example as, as an analogy. It's that, you know, even it, whether I'm getting, if I'm get going into to get surgery, I wouldn't just look at an open heart surgery on YouTube and perform it myself. And even if it was my 10th one, it's still nerve wracking. There's still going to be things that come up that you definitely need a professional. Mm -hmm. And I think real estate is the same way. Not only that, but I have actually had the the pleasure of being at lunch with like a, like a super top broker in this city the day he bought a really beautiful property and his attorney was in the closing as we were having lunch and he literally this was like his probably 15th purchase of of a home and yet every about three minutes he was looking at his phone and he was a nervous wreck and he looked at me and he said you know what it's so amazing it's like us having to go through this buying process ourselves over and over again really makes it that much more alive and real as to what our buyers are going through. And he goes every single time. He said, I'm convinced that something's going to go wrong at the closing table to the point where I don't even go myself. Why wasn't he? Yes, he was. That's why. It's an interesting process and we're going to be out of time soon, but I wanted to get into actually what, you know, we as real estate agents do, and we'll talk about that next week, you know, as a profession, but as, as a service person to our buyers and renters and our sellers, of course, because most people don't really understand the value that we bring to the table every day of the week. Because, you know, there are certain elements, if you're not in touch with the mortgage broker, if you're not in touch with the attorney, if you're not in touch with the other broker, if you're not in touch with the client, if it's yours, yours directly, people have different, uh, you know, things going on in their life every day, different pulls, you know, every day out of the, the focus of buying your real estate. So you get distracted and, and things can and do and will happen. So and you've got to have somebody who's in the center of that core to make sure it all wraps together. And if all the newer agents out there listening didn't just get goosebumps from what Parole said and the intricacies of a first-time buyer, then you might want to second-guess this. <laughs> yeah. Or join a team when you first start. Yeah. But that, that's, that's very important. Yeah. You know, Years ago, um, there weren't teams and there weren't anybody who wanted to declare themselves mentors, so it was very difficult to start out on your own. Here's your desk, here's your 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 computer, here's your phone, just go make it happen. Well, okay, well, how do you do that? You know, unless you have a, an established book of business and most people don't in the business, it's difficult. All right, so we've got to end it there. We are out of time. That is our show for today. Thank you to uh, Noah, Perul, Phil, and Matt, as always. Until next time, please be kind to one another for all of us at Voice America all around the world. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.